Thanks, Lindsay. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for the truth of your word, what was just read. Um, Lord God, that um, to recognize that none of us comes in here this morning with everything figured out. No one, no one comes in here this morning righteous in their own goods. No one comes in here this morning able to stand on their own, but we come um, like this guy Zacchaeus. Sinners in need of a savior. But God, we also come celebrating that you are that savior. And that you, you reach down. You, you are the one who comes to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, so we celebrate. It's Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. And yet, God, the number one thing we can say we're thankful for is your grace. That we were lost, but now we're found. That we were dead, but made alive that we were sinners but now called saints. God, I pray that we would celebrate that grace. We would celebrate it in such a way that our lives would be transformed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Luke 19. It's where we're going to be this morning looking at this story of Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you know about Zacchaeus, right? He was a yeah, we little man, we got that. It's not so cruel. Like, isn't little just good enough? Why do we got to add we to that too, right? Man. As you go into Luke chapter 19, you know, when I was, um, it was a while ago, I was with a, a friend at an outdoor concert, and, and while we were there listening to the music, off to the side, we hear these screams. We look over, and there are some people running away from where the screams are. There's yelling going on. And my friend instantly stands up and starts running towards where the yelling was happening. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go with him because I'm going to follow this guy. And, and so we run towards him. What had happened was there was a, a fight that had broken out. There was a, a, a guy fighting with his girlfriend, people yelling. His so we get there, and she's visibly injured. So, so my friend stops. He starts to help her out while we wait for the paramedics to come. And here's what impressed me about my friend. He had the instinct to not run away with the crowd, but instead to run against the crowd. And my, my prayer for us this morning as we ju jump into Luke 19 is this. My, my prayer is this, that maybe for someone in this room, that this passage would be the thing that captures your heart to run towards Jesus. Who cares where the crowd's running? We're in this series called um, Encountering Jesus. And, and, and really, it's, it's all about this. It's about seeing who Jesus is and being transformed by that encounter we have with him as we run towards him. And so, so my prayer is this, that, that, that this morning, even right now, that God would use his word, not my words, but God would use his words to work powerfully, maybe in somebody's life here this morning, that you would see yourself and you would see your Savior. So if you're in Luke 19, I told you to go there, now I'm going to tell you to flip back. Go, go back just a page to, to chapter 18. Look at verse 9. I want to give us a bit of a context as we come into this encounter with this wee little man, Zacchaeus. Look, look at verse 9 of, of Luke 18. Jesus talking, he says, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. So the Pharisee, remember we talked about him the last time I was preaching, the people who had it all together. Man, they, they followed the law. They were upstanding. They were righteous. They were good church-going folk, right? One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Keep that story in in your mind. Keep that parable in your mind as we read about Zacchaeus. And then right after Jesus tells this parable, there's these kids that are flocking to Jesus, right? And they're kind of, I kind of picture this where Jesus is sitting out, he's teaching, and and kids are like busting away from their parents. They're jumping on Jesus' lap. They're kind of running around him. I kind of picture Jesus being this kind of guy that kids would be like, I want to be around this dude. And, and like every good group of religious people, when, when, when that's happening, what do the disciples do? They're like, get the kids away from Jesus, right? They're the serious adults. If you grew up in church, they were the adults who would be, don't run in the sanctuary. Do you ever hear those ones, right? right? There should be no joy in the house of the Lord, right? <laughs> and Jesus says, what are you guys doing? Why are you taking them away? No, let them come. In fact, he says in verse 17, if you got, if you got Luke 18 open, look at verse 17. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Keep that in mind as we get to Zacchaeus. As this is going on, a rich, powerful guy steps forward as all this is happening. And and he steps up to Jesus and he says, hey, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives this answer. He says, well, just do the law. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't dishonor your mother and father. He goes through this whole list of what the law would say, and the man looks at Jesus with a straight face, and he says, I've done all of those things since I was a kid. He's like, if it's, if it's about not sinning, like, Jesus, I'm crushing it right now. I've got this dialed in. So Jesus adds one more thing. He says, okay, give your wealth to the poor and follow me. You see in verse 23, what's it say? And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So here's this guy, so well-respected, rich, a leader. He had no problem getting a, a, a time to see Jesus, to get right up close to Jesus. He's doing everything he thought that he should be doing. So morally upstanding to the point where, where when this guy walks away after Jesus says, hey, do this, and he says, I can't do it, he walks away. His disciples see him walking away, and they're like, what? I can't believe that guy's not saved. Now we get to our text this morning. Jesus comes into Jericho. Look at verse 1 of Luke 19. It says, And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So here you have these two rich guys. Both have a common problem. They, they're trying to see Jesus. They, they need to see Jesus. But this, this second rich guy, Zacchaeus, he can't. He can't get to him. Now, what does it say in verse 3? It says why? Because he was small in stature. All right? The Greek says he was a wee little man. <laughs> it doesn't. All right? He, he, he's short. Now, now, when you think short, I mean, the commentaries say like, like really short. Like think Danny DeVito short, Okay? Right, that's if you. That's kind of how he's this this short, short, short little guy. Now, here's what I find weird about that. If you're in a crowd, like if if I'm in a crowd, listen, I'm five ten and a half. When you're five ten, that half's very important. All right, okay, I'm five ten and a half. And so so so, if I if I'm on Main Street and the Santa Claus parade is going on, 
right? And, and Pastor Marshall shows up. And Marshall's like, hey, bro, can I get in front of you? I'm like, no, you can't. You're a monster of a man. You can stand behind me. I want to be able to see what's going on. But, but listen, and I even kind of like Marshall, right? <laughs> now, if, if this little Danny DeVito of a guy walks by, and says, hey, 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 buddy, right? And he taps me on the shoulder, or I guess maybe on the lower back. I don't know. Like, he can't, right? <laughs> and, and, and he says, hey, can I get in front of you? What would I, I would say, of course you can. Why? Because I can see over him, right? But here you've got Zacchaeus. He's this short guy. He can't get to the front. I think there's more going on here than it's a large crowd and a short guy can't see. I don't think him not being able to get close to see had anything to do with his height. This guy was not well loved by this crowd. I mean, look up at verse 2. What's it say? It says, he was a chief tax collector. So he's responsible for, for collecting taxes from the Jewish people to give to the occupying Roman government. And like the parable Jesus had given in Luke 18, people hated tax collectors. They're lumped together all the time with, with these, these unclean people. They would say the tax collectors and sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes. And, and it wasn't just religious people that hated tax collectors. Everyone hated these guys. They worked for the Roman government, always watching your business, always looking for ways to get more tax. And the Romans were smart. They, they chose nationals. They, they, chose, they chose fellow Jews to, to be tax collectors because they lived in the villages. They, they knew the people. No one could sneak out of paying taxes. And here's the deal. The tax collectors had, had, had free license to overcharge whatever they wanted. As long as the Romans got their cut, the tax collectors could add whatever else on top of that that they wanted to add to extort their own people. And the, tax, the text here is pretty clear. It says Zacchaeus was rich. We can deduce that he actually added a lot to the taxes that he was collecting. He, he, he's in the business of shaking down people, right, with, with the full force of the Roman government and army behind him. So when you think tax collector, when you think Zacchaeus, don't think a CRA employee, all right? He's not working for the Canadian government just trying to figure out what your taxes are. Don't think that. Think mafia, all right? And, and, and what to say here, he wasn't just a street-level tax collector. He was the chief tax collector for all of Jericho. It meant he ruled all the other tax collectors of the city. So, so not just mob, like, like, like Zacchaeus was the, the Vito Corleone of the, of the text, right? That's how he is here. He's the Tony Soprano. He's the Al Capone of Jericho. That's how you got to see who he is. He's the top boss. And the crowd hated him. Hated him because he got wealthy off of their backs. He used his position to cheat, to steal, to bully his own community, the people he grew up with. You can see why you can't get through the crowd. So again, think back to the rich man of Luke 18. You've got two rich guys coming from two different backgrounds with two different reputations. They both come to the same place, though. They've got this problem, a common problem. The, the problem wasn't their wealth. Now, Jesus makes clear when, he, when, when the rich ruler walks away, he makes pretty clear. He says, man, it's easier for a, a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom. Why does he say that? I think he says that because, listen, when you have so much wealth, you can pursue whatever you want, and you miss out on the reality that you need Jesus. Both of these guys have everything that the world could offer. But they both come to the same point. They see, I, I, I'm still lacking. I, I know that there's something more. 
It's this common problem in every single one of us. It does, doesn't matter if you're, if you're a righteous person like the first rich guy or, or if you're a scoundrel like Zacchaeus. Whatever the world offers, you come to this point where you say, there's got to be something more. I'm not satisfied with all of this. Listen, listen, Scripture would say it's hardwired into us, that eternity has been placed on our hearts. I love how C.S. Lewis says it where he says, if, if everything in the world doesn't satisfy you, it probably means this, you are made for a different world. Both of these guys have a common problem. They, they both come to Jesus. And this whole series we've been in is about encountering Jesus. But, but listen, it's not just the encounter that brings new life. These guys both encounter Jesus, but, but there are two very different endings, right? The rich ruler, it says, walked away sad. For Zacchaeus, we read, Lindsay read for us that, that he had salvation and joy come into his life. I mean, do you see the contrast between these two? Now, what did Zacchaeus, I mean, the worst of the worst, he's the furthest away from Jesus compared to this other rich guy. What did Zacchaeus do differently? Well, let me ask it this way. How does salvation burst into your life with joy, with transformation? Three really simple things I think we see right out of the text here. Like, look at verse 4. It says this. It says, so he, talking about Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Here's the first simple thing. What do we do to have salvation explode into our lives? Climb a tree. Climb a tree. Now, how many of you, okay, if you're, you're older in the room, how many of you guys climb trees when your kids' hands up? Anybody? It's okay to raise your hands in church, even when we're not singing worship, right? Okay, right? Okay, Great. Most people here, as kids, you love climbing trees. Now, let me second question. Hands up. How many of you climbed a tree this past week, right? <laughs> like, if you're, if, you're, if you're an older person, why not? I mean, we, 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 we know that it's fun. Like, we remember how fun it was to do, right? You're like, yeah, well, gravity's changed since I got older. <laughs> it seems to be way worse. I'm winded walking upstairs now. I think it's a gravity problem, Right? So, so listen, other than the arborists in the room, most adults don't climb trees, right? Am I right? When you're a kid, you, climb, you, you can climb a tree, and, and it makes so much sense. And if, if you were to walk out of here this morning and out in one of those trees, you'd see a kid up in a tree, you would smile, right? Now, if you head out of here and you see Bruce Fitter up in a tree, you're making some phone calls, right? <laughs> uh, Lois, something's wrong with your husband, as an adult in culture, you look foolish if you climb a tree. But Zacchaeus says, I don't care. This is no different here. Here's a, a business person, an adult, climbing a tree. Zacchaeus willing to climb a tree. What, what, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm willing to look foolish. Like, like if you really want to get to Jesus, you have to be willing to look foolish because you got to understand something. Being a Christian is weird, is it not? People will look at you like you're foolish. They're not going to understand. You're going to confuse some people. In fact, if, if you've come to Christ and you didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home, you, you would know this truth. If, if your whole family, unchurched, you come, you meet Jesus, your whole life changes, your family thinks you're odd, right? Like, what are you doing? You, you go to that Harvest Church every Sunday? Like, like you volunteer time? You then hang out with a small group of people and, and they hold you accountable to stuff? You give money away? Like, I remember one of our friends who came to Harvest, gave their lives to Christ, and one of the first questions was, do people really give away their money here? It's crazy, isn't it? 
people are okay if you go to church every so often, but, but to really take your faith seriously, to, to make Jesus your top priority, to have your life decisions revolve around Jesus. Listen, as a student in school, as an adult in your work life, people are going to look at you like you're climbing a tree. I mean, can't you see that the world is going in such a different way? The crowd is moving in such a different direction than Jesus. The way we're called to use our money, the way we view sexuality, the way, the way we see forgiveness, the way we talk and live, what we prioritize, it's weird, and the world thinks we're crazy. Let me, let me give you an example right from our own church. Um, I heard this past week about something that happened at our high school here in town. A teacher in the history class had handed out a section of scripture, right? And he, he hands it out, and he, he asked the students, here's what I want you to do. Could you highlight everything in that text that's true? And so one of our students from our Harvest Youth program, right, one of our students gets the highlighter out, and they're just going to town on it, <laughs> right? And the teacher's like, oh, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Maybe you didn't understand. I asked you to only highlight what's true, what you think is true. And the student's like, yeah, it's all true. It's the Bible. Listen, the teacher couldn't believe it. The teacher had to press the student. You, you can't believe it. You can't really believe that. You, like, how, you gotta how, show me that it's really true. No, how about you show me that it's not true, right? Like, and, and listen, to stand up and really say, I believe this. I, I believe that there is a God, a holy, eternal, righteous God. Not some force, but, but a personal God. I believe that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. So Jesus, God the Son, born of a virgin, comes to live a perfect life, fully God, fully man, comes to live a perfect life, the life that I would need to live if I wanted to be in relationship with the Holy God. He lives that life. He then dies in my place to pay the penalty for my sin and doesn't just die, he raises again, comes to life, conquers sin, conquers death, conquers Satan. Yes, a real Satan and all the evil that he tries to promote and push into our culture. And, and when you put your whole faith in Jesus, everything changes for now and eternity. And listen, I know that sounds weird. It sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds, it sounds like a Marvel movie. I was reading some Tim Keller this past week, and I love how he says that there's a reason that Jesus sounds like all the great stories. He says this, Jesus is not one more story pointing to underlying realities. Jesus is the underlying reality to which all other stories point. There's a reason why we have these stories. It's just straight up truth. If you, if, if you want to follow Jesus, like really, like I don't mean just go to church, but where, where Jesus is your priority, where you say, I'm following him, I'm choosing grace, I'm choosing joy, I'm choosing generosity, I'm choosing freedom, I'm not making my life all about the here and now. Listen, there are going to be so many times where you look so foolish. And let's be honest. 99% of us avoid looking foolish. But if you really want to see Jesus, if you really want to have this encounter change you, you got to climb a tree. In the series, the, the um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, it's the, the book, The Last Battle. And we, we see at the end of the story, don't mean to ruin it for you, it's been out for a while, you should have read it already, all right? Um, there are these four kids, right? But at the, in the last battle, you're down to three. There's only three of them left. And, and, and Peter lets us know why. He says this, my sister Susan is no longer a friend of Narnia. Yes, Eustace said. Whenever you've tried to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she says, what wonderful memories you have. 
fancy you're still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. Susan wouldn't climb trees anymore, right? You watch the most famous people in our culture, like influencers, whether it be athletes or, or actors, and, and they'll be outed as Christians. You ever see this? And they're like, hey, that person goes to this so-and-so church, and, and do you know what that church believes? It believes this and this. And then they, they ask, hey, hey, do you really believe that? And, and so quickly, so quickly, so often, well, I'm not really that kind of Christian. I, yeah, I believe in God. I, I believe in a higher force. And you've got to climb a tree. You might look silly to the world as you follow Jesus. But what did Jesus say in our text in the chapter before this? He said, let the little kids come to me. You've got to come in that way, with that wide-eyed faith in the gospel, in, in, in the story that all other stories get their meaning from. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel, about encountering Jesus. You can have that childlike wonder and joy and faith and hope for the rest of your life. Are you willing to climb a tree? All right, here's another thing we see in the text. Here's our second point this morning. It's this. Not only do you climb a tree, you get over the crowd. Get over the crowd. Zacchaeus could not get through the crowd. He climbs a tree. But even after that, look at verse 7. Look what it says. Jesus says, hey, hey, I'm going to come be at your house. I want to come be with you, Zacchaeus. Come on down. We're going to hang out. Verse 7. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Isn't that crazy? Here here we've been talking about to climb a tree, it's because the world will be kind of going in a different direction than we're going, right? And that's kind of the thing we always think of as Christ followers. I'm going to be going against the crowd, but isn't it crazy the crowd here in this story is actually the religious people? It's hard for us to, to hear this, but one of the reasons people don't get to Jesus are the people that follow Jesus. Christians are not always the great greatest ambassadors for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. In fact, I would say this, if we were going across the room, even this morning, and and give an opportunity for each of you to share your story of of walking with Christ, I mean, I would say that many, most, a lot here would have stories of, here's where the church hurt me. Here's where a Christian ripped me off. Here's where I was gossiped about. I I was abused. I was abandoned. I was stolen from. I was lied to. I mean, we we could spend an entire Thanksgiving unpacking those kinds of stories People are looking in on churches and saying, man, if that's the product of encountering Jesus, if that's the product of the gospel, I don't think I want anything to do with it. And it stings a bit to hear it, but, but, but sometimes, church, sometimes we're the problem. We're the crowd in the story. And, and you read through the gospels, you start to see a common theme happening through, through around Jesus' life. And it's a common theme that should cause us as as Christians to stop and contemplate and think, man, why is that so commonplace here? It seems wherever Jesus went, he was surrounded by, attracted the most notorious, the most scandalous, the most outcast of people. It's like wherever he went, everywhere Jesus went, it's the poor, the broken, the messed up, the sick, the sinful, they flooded to where Jesus was. And I'm not talking about just kind of sinners, like, like really, really good sinners, right? Right before Jesus meets up with Zacchaeus, the verses right before that, there's this, this homeless, jobless, blind guy calling out to Jesus. Now he's hanging out with a greedy mob boss. Next week, Matt's going to share the story of a sinful woman who Jesus meets, and, and so sinful, her reputation goes before her. Everyone knows who she is, her shady reputation 
In Luke 8, Jesus has this, this encounter with a demon-possessed guy who ran around naked. That's the kind of people Jesus attracted, the most unlikely kingdom dwellers you could possibly imagine. And why should that make us stop and think? I mean, look around at us now. We're all pretty respectable in here, right? I haven't seen any of y'all run around Huntsville naked this weekend, right? Not one, zero, none of you have. And listen, this isn't a call to do that, all right? All right, but here's, here's my point. Are the lost really drawn to this place like they were drawn to Jesus? I mean, how do we know? How do we know, Harvest? How do we know if we're the crowd in this story? If we're stopping people from seeing Jesus? I mean, specifically from the text here, there's a really great test to see, am I a part of the crowd? Am I somebody who would stop someone to see Jesus? Am I somebody that people need to get actually over top of to see Jesus? Listen, once they hear that Jesus is going to befriend Zacchaeus, what do they say? They say, he's hanging out with what? He's hanging out with a sinner. I think one of the ways you know if you're a part of the problem, one of the ways you know that you may not fully understand the gospel is who you call a sinner. The crowd looks at Zacchaeus and says, you don't measure up. You don't get to have this new life. You're on the outside, and there's no doorway for you to get in. And yet we just heard from Luke 18 about a tax collector who prays, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this guy gets it. The Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like him. He didn't get it. Because if you're hearing this sermon even this morning, you're saying, man, I know who needs to hear this. <laughs> Listen, this text, this idea of the crowd, I, I think it should hit two different kinds of people in this room. First, it should hit this. Am I a part of the crowd? Am, am I keeping people from Jesus? Is my life, as I look at how I live, am I a, a hindrance for people to see the beauty of the gospel? I mean, listen, listen. Lord, convict us of, of half-hearted following. Convict us of missing grace. Convict us of not seeing our own desperate need of Jesus. Our own self-righteousness. I mean, I pray this, Lord, use everyone here in this room. God, would you use this church to actually lift people up to see Jesus more clearly? But here's the other person this text speaks to. I'm going to guess there's a bunch of people in this room that you would be in here and you'd say, listen, I, I got a past. I actually identify more with Zacchaeus. I get the sin. I get the difficulty. And, and, and you would wonder, man, if people heard my story and, and my story is not even that distant past, if they knew the sin I'm wrestling with, that maybe they'd call you a sinner just like Zacchaeus. So here's what I encourage you. See Zacchaeus and see Jesus' response. There's this crowd that has religion all figured out. And you have this guy so far from Jesus, but he's actually closer than the crowd. And my, my prayer is this, that you would, you, would, you would get over the crowd and you'd see Jesus. That you'd see his grace. Listen, religion says, hey, reach your way up to God. And we say, oh, we don't believe that, but how often do we live in that way, right? Grace says this. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Grace is this. Jesus came to rescue you. You didn't reach up to him. You didn't work your way. You didn't do enough things. No, no. He reaches you and saves you by sheer grace. So we need to get over the crowd. 
I would say this, even that we would look around in our own church and go, yeah, we are a bunch of hypocrites. Evidence of God's grace. I always say this, when people say, I don't like going to church because it's full of hypocrites, I say, we don't have a quota. <laughs> There's room for you too, right? <laughs> Listen, we're not just called to some sort of churchy lifestyle. We're as broken as the next person. Why? Why? Because we need Jesus. I need Jesus just as much today as I did the very first time I prayed, Jesus, I need you. Let's get over ourselves. Let's climb the tree. Let's get over the crowd. Let's see grace. And here's our last point. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Here's our last point this morning is this. Take Jesus home. My love in this text, it says, Jesus says to him, come down. But he doesn't just say, come down. What's he say? He says two things that are so powerful. The first I want to look at, he says, hey, hurry, hurry, which is crazy. Listen, if, if I saw one of you up in a tree and I said, come down, I would say, slowly, <laughs> right? But he's like, Zach, hurry. Like, why the urgency? And here's, here's one thing I love about the urgency in the text here. Jesus doesn't look at the crowd and worry about their response. He's not like, mm, should I call him down? I don't know. He, he's not hesitating at all because of Zacchaeus' reputation. I mean, this is just grace, grace, grace all over this. And so if you think that Jesus wouldn't accept you because of your sin, it's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the accuser. He's like, hurry. Come on down. Now, here's the second most important thing in that verse. Again, not very profound if you just kind of read past it. But Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus. Think about that. Jesus knew his name. I think striving for a good name is a good thing. I don't know if you guys use this phrase in your house, but like we'll use it. Hey, this isn't what Valentine's do, right? You ever do that? You ever tell your kid, hey, this is what a, and you use your name. And you try to encourage your son or your daughter to live in a certain way. And you kind of throw your name in there. Like, well, it's good to have a good name. But if you're striving for a good name, you know, you want to know what a, a really good name is? It's a name that Jesus knows. Isn't it interesting that the other rich ruler, no name. We don't know who he is. He's just a guy. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about in eternity when people stand before him, there'll be those who stand before him and say, Jesus, look at all the stuff we did. We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. We taught in your name. We did all these good works in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't know your name. Does Jesus know your name this morning? Have you taken that move to, to get up in the tree, to, to look foolish, to humble yourself, say, Jesus, I need you to, to get over the crowd because you're like, I want to be sure Jesus knows my name. Jesus, I want you to come home. Jesus, I want you to, to be in my life, not just a, a piece of my life. When, when I say come home, I'm not talking about, hey, I got a basement apartment for you. It's like, no, you have the whole house, Jesus. Because when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, he's not coming over for a barbecue. He's saying, I'm staying at your house. Like, I'm moving in, bro. Like, this is going to be our house now. Jesus isn't just a, an addition onto Zacchaeus' life. He's moving in to do life with him. He's invading every part of his life. When you really encounter Jesus, you're forced to make this decision. Do I really want Jesus to invade my life?
at Zacchaeus' response. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I mean, how, how do we know that Zacchaeus really embraced, accepted, received Jesus fully as his ultimate treasure? It's the change in his life. It, it's what happens in Zacchaeus' heart. And, and notice the order. The order is very important. Jesus accepts him before he repents. Jesus invades Zacchaeus' life. And, and because of the love of Jesus, because of the accepting grace of Jesus, it transforms him. This is the gospel. You've got to understand this. It's Jesus that moves first. We're dead in sin, and it's Jesus that gives new life. But then there's evidence of that life. I mean, Zach is so changed, so filled with joy. He's so blown away by grace. He's like, Jesus, look, look, I, I, I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to repay everyone more than I took. My, my money means nothing anymore. I have you now, Jesus. Jesus completely transforms him. But get this, it's not, hey, do this so you receive my grace. It's Zacchaeus saying, I can't believe your grace, so I'm going to do this. He hasn't just come over for a meal with him. He's fully taken over Zacchaeus' his whole heart. His whole house has been changed. Every single corner and closet of his life has Jesus there. It's affected by grace. I mean, you can just see it exploding into his life, don't you? Here's what you see. Listen, the Bible doesn't give a ton of Old Testament kind of commands, hey, 10% of your income. Zacchaeus is like, forget that. How about 50%? I'm going to give away 50%. In the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 5, it says if you defraud somebody, you need to replay, repay them back plus 20%. Zacchaeus goes, really? How about 400%? He's not doing what he's required to do because of some law. He's doing it because he's responding to grace. It says he was a wealthy man. For Zacchaeus to give 10% of his income would not be hard for him. But if you're wealthy, 10% is not a lot compared to what you have. If, if, if you're struggling to get by, man, 10% is a ton of money. But he's saying, listen, it's not a rule that's driving this. It's, it's joy that's driving this. So he says, how about I give away 50%? Man, Lord, fill us with that kind of joy a joy of grace that changes us. And I would pray this, Lord, never let it burn out. The joy of grace only burns out in Christ followers when we forget who we are. When we forget that each one of us are little Zacchaeuses, changed by Jesus. Listen, as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, I'm hoping this, that, that in this moment, you, you would see that moment when the, the screams are called out and the crowd is running in a certain direction and you have to make a choice. Which way am I going to run? And you're, you're confronted with this decision. You, you can either run the way of the crowd, run away from, or, or you, can, you, you can turn and run towards Jesus. And I'm telling you, you're going to experience something the crowd misses. Scripture's clear there are moments when, when God's spirit begins to move in your heart. And maybe for some of you here this morning, God's spirit's doing that very thing. And you're saying, listen, I've actually never made the decision. I've never climbed the tree. I've never gotten over the crowd. I've never made the decision to follow Jesus. And, and I'm quite sure he wouldn't know my name. Listen, that can be resolved today. Jesus, I need you.
Maybe there's some here this morning and you would say, listen, I, I've been a follower of Jesus. I've claimed the name of Christ, but, but man, I never climb a tree. I rarely go over the crowd. To take that step of, of embarrassment, to, 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 to be bold with my faith, to, to share with somebody about Christ, to, to man, I'd be too afraid of offending them, or to, to live a life that's actually radical c- compared to what the world sees. I mean, listen, listen, if you want to experience the joy of grace, we got to get over that. Lastly, another decision we have to make is, is this. Has Jesus really come home? Has he invaded every part of your life, every corner, every closet? So that when you look around and you see other tree climbers, you're like, hey, let me help you find Jesus. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. It. He said, our lives as Jesus followers should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. That you live in such a way where people go, man, I want what you have. Not that your life is perfect, but man, I see something in you that's so different. That's so life-changing. You can say, it's not me. It's Jesus. I've encountered Jesus. His grace has changed me. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for such a simple story of a a total sinner whose name you knew. And I thank you that even this morning we can have this assurance that you know our names too. Father, I pray that this room would be filled, Lord, and, and let it begin with me, Lord God, filled with people who are climbing trees. People who are getting over the crowd. People who have invited you as our ultimate treasure that grace would invade our hearts, that that we would be so changed, that it would would cause us to worship differently. It would cause us to live differently. It would cause us to do marriage differently, to do friendships differently, to, to do work and school differently because we know who we are and we know who you are and we're changed by the encounter of grace. God, make it so. Make it so for our own souls to allow joy and hope Make it so for the, the, the lost in our community that you've said you've come to seek and save them. God, may we be a part of that journey, a part of that mission. God, that we be a church that would be filled with people like Zacchaeus because we recognize that so are we. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that saves. Amen.